Welcome to the podcast to amplify show, the podcast for women leaders who are ready to spend less time feeding the algorithm and more focused time leveraging podcasting as a strategic tool to accelerate their business growth. I'm your host, Rosemary Callender, podcast launch strategist, mom of one and Netflix chocoholic. You're in the right place if you want to learn everything you need to know about creating a strategic and intentional podcast that attracts high quality leads and visibility opportunities for your business. Now, are you ready to amplify your voice impact and revenue? Then let's head into this week's episode. Hey there, and welcome back to another episode of the Podcast to Amplify show. With us today, we have a special guest, Steph Caswell, who is the author of six nonfiction books. She's a writing coach and developmental editor at Creating Happy Writers. She works with service-led business owners who want to write and publish books in their niche. Her most recent book, Dare to Write, takes readers on a step-by-step journey from initial idea to published manuscript, and it's recently been shortlisted for a 2023 Business Book Award. Steph is also the host of the Creating Happy Writers podcast. Hey, Steph, thank you so much for being on the podcast today. I'm really excited about our conversation. How are you? I'm very well. Thank you for having me on. I'm uh, really looking forward to chatting to you. So thank you. I'm really looking forward to this conversation because I know that a lot of my audience have written a book on their vision board. I mean, that's not me. The thought of writing anything stresses me out. But I'm really (laughs) excited to have you on the show because... If you've already got a podcast, you're planning one and you want to, you know, write your book in the future, why not make that process a little bit easier by using your podcast to write or help you write your book? So we're going to dig into what that process looks like and sort of any tips or strategies that you might be able to share with our audience. But before we get into all that, I would love to know, how did Steph arrive here today? (laughs) That's a great question. Um, I started off, I used to be a teacher many years ago, and I was a deputy head um, up until about 2015. Um, And during that time of being a deputy, I decided to write a book for teachers uh, on behaviour management, and then subsequently wrote two other books for teachers. So I started doing that while I was still working uh, in a school and I really enjoyed it, uh, the writing of it, more than I thought I would actually. And um, then I decided actually I wanted to move out of teaching and I started a tutoring business and a little writing business as well. So I had the two running side by side. And then I decided actually I really wanted to make a go of writing and also helping others to write. So most recently um, I wrote a book called Dare to Write, which is for female business owners who are looking to write books in their niche. So that's kind of how I got here in a very roundabout way, (laughs) a way that, yeah, enabled me to do what I'm doing now. I'm so fascinated by hearing like people's journeys. And when you said deputy head, I can, I can totally see that Steph. I can (laughs) totally see that. Were you primary school or secondary? Primary. Primary, also the the littles. (laughs) The littles, yeah, for sure. Oh, amazing. So what was it like transitioning? I know you you mentioned writing the books and then you started a tutoring business. but And so you, you do have a love for writing. That's very, very clear. 
But what was that kind of process of from teacher to business owner and now you're in the online space? What has that been like for you? It's been a real journey. I'm not going to lie. It's not something that I feel I went into it kind of a little bit naively, I suppose. I, I left teaching and started tutoring and sort of just, I think the polite way of putting it was winging it for quite a while, um, mm-hmm. particularly in the tutoring space. And I was quite lucky because I came from a position of having children who knew me, um, who wanted tutoring. So I didn't sort of have difficulty finding tutees who needed tutoring. Mm. I just realized that as I was tutoring them, it wasn't the thing I really wanted to do for the rest of my life. So it was almost that I did step out of teaching and into something quite quickly, Mm. but then again, quickly realized it wasn't exactly what I wanted to be doing. Yeah. And then I I was a qualified coach as well. So oh, wow. I was able to think about, do I want to do some sort of coaching? Um, and I think I just realized I wanted to be able to marry the two together, really, the writing um, and the coaching. Yeah. And to do something that was a little bit different and spoke to me. You know, I really felt like I was in this um, space where I knew I wanted to help people, but I wasn't quite sure what that looked like. And then I thought, you know what? I love writing. <laughs> so I'm sure other people want to do what I've done in terms of writing books. Yeah. So why not to, uh, put the two together? Amazing. So tell me a little bit about how you work with your clients, because you make a good point in terms of coaching, which I hadn't connected that dot in my mind, although it does make total sense. Um, so tell me a little bit more about how you would support your clients and what that would look like. So people often come to me and they've got an idea for a book or they've had an idea for a book often going around in their heads for a long time. And they'll say to me, I've always wanted to write a book. I'm just not sure whether the book is a good idea. And what I do is I work with them to establish that idea a little bit more, decide is it actually the right thing to write about or is your topic maybe a bit broad and you need to uh, narrow it down because I'm sort of very much a person that believes that you really need to kind of niche down as much mm. as you can with writing a book so that it's really supporting a very targeted audience. And I will help them put that plan together, the outline together of what's going to be in the chapters. And then people either go away and write it by themselves oh. or sometimes they want some accountability, in which case uh, they'll have sort of sessions with me where I'll feed back to them on how their writing's going um, and give them some support because it's quite a lonely journey writing. Mm one of those journeys where you're a lot of the time by yourself just with your own thoughts your own doubts your own insecurities about your ability to do it particularly when you're kind of in the middle of your manuscript um, when you've been doing it for a while and maybe the initial novelty is worn off and you just need somebody there who can give you a little bit of support and encouragement Um, and yeah so that's kind of the process really and I, I also help people who have either and then maybe written the book themselves yeah. uh, and then actually say, do you know, what? I don't know if it's any good stuff. Could you read it and let me, you know, let me know what the, the feedback is? I love it because I just it gives me the opportunity to work with such a diverse group of people in terms of how they help others. You know, I help people who are in the health space and so maybe like a gut health specialist I've been supporting. And then you've got coaches who are, you know, business coaches who want to help people build their own businesses people who are selling products on Amazon. Oh, wow. you know, it's just a real um, range of people and it's an absolute joy. Amazing. And what stood out for me there is how similar it is to starting your podcast. Like you talked about the doubts, the worries. I don't know if it's necessarily a lonely journey per se, 
but you do, there is a period of time, well, when you work with me anyway, (laughs) there is a period of time where you have to sit down and, you know, write out your trailer scripts and all that, and then sit down and record the thing. I mean, you've just recently launched a podcast, so you you know what I'm talking about. Mm, And so it just struck me how similar the two things are. And so I know you've worked with people who've already had a podcast and wanted to turn that into book. So what does that process look like? Like really simple, broke down terms. <laughs> what does that look like? Say someone is 50, 100 episodes in mm-hmm. and they're listening to this and they're thinking, ooh, what could their first, I don't know, two, three steps be? It's really interesting you say that because I've helped quite a few people who've got podcasts mm. to use the content that they've already got through their episodes. And quite often people will come to me and they'll think they have to start everything from scratch. And I like to remind people that if they've got a podcast or a blog, or they've maybe done a course, or they've got a membership group, there is so much content there already that you could be using. And I think that's what I love about this is that you don't always have to start with a completely blank page. And I think, in fact, not many people I work with ever start with nothing at all. They've often got even bits and pieces that maybe they've jotted down in the past. Mm. So my sort of first step to people is thinking about who's your reader and what's the problem that they're facing. Mm. Because with business books, nonfiction books, they are primarily there to help people. They're on a journey. um, They maybe want some help with a particular area of their life that they're struggling with. And they want a transformation, even through just reading a book. So you need to consider, first and foremost, who are you writing for and what's their problem? Um, And then essentially, how can you help them? And if you've got a podcast, sometimes people will pull particular case studies from episodes throughout the book to help them uh, talk about particular concept or particular aspect of what they're helping people to do. And I think this is a great thing because as readers, we often want to see or hear about people that have been in positions that we've been in Mm. and how they've overcome that particular challenge. And if you've interviewed people on your podcast or you've done an episode yourself where you've talked about this particular issue that's going to be a chapter in your book, you could actually bring that story in from the person you interviewed or even from your own experience and use it as a hook to get the reader to really feel like you're connecting with them and they can trust you. Mm. So those are sort of that's the easiest way to begin really is always begin with the reader in mind okay. and think about how can I help them overcome a particular challenge. Interesting. I was just thinking about what you said in terms of the case study episodes because those are one of the episodes that I recommend to my clients that they use. So there's like four different types of episodes and so that's really interesting. I think my definition of case study might slightly differ. It's in terms of like having clients onto your podcast or doing like social proof type episodes. Is that, does that align with what you're referring to as well? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So it's anyone who's, for example, um, you know, if you're doing, if you're a a business coach and you're doing something around launching or starting a business from scratch, you know, I've worked with a lady who's got a podcast and she really helps women who are, decided that since having children they don't want to go back to the corporate world they want to start a business uh, and it's normally around a passion that they've got 
and she helps them start from basically the initial concept of a business. But she's got all these episodes of her podcast that she can go back to. And we worked really hard together to pinpoint which episodes would be really, really useful mm. to explain the different parts of setting up a business. And she was then able to go back to those episodes and pull the show notes and pull the transcript and yeah. use some of it to build this kind of case study story aspect of the chapter. Amazing. Um, and then to use what she does in her membership group to kind of fill out the, the steps, the actions that people could take in order to get this part of the business off the ground. So, yeah. Yeah, it's almost like a dual way of doing it. It's, it's other people's expertise that you can reference, but also then showcasing your expertise so that you're able to use the book to expand your business, to get people to work with you and to be seen as the expert because that's, you know, that's really, really important when you're writing a book for a business is that you're the expert, you're the go-to person yeah. people can get in touch with. Okay, so then on to step two, mm -hmm. what would that be? So I would say then is do what I call the brain dump, um, which is essentially when you know your reader, you know their problem and you know roughly, you know, what you could do to be supporting them. From experience of myself writing, but also helping other people, it's always clear that people have been holding this book in their head for quite a while. I don't think I've ever spoken to somebody who's, you know, got in contact with me and thought, oh, last week I thought of Yeah, I just woke up. <laughs> yeah. It's always something that people have in their minds. You know, I often have books going around for six months or so in my head before I actually come to write them down. Wow. So what I think is such a powerful exercise is the brain dump and just write down everything that you possibly think in terms of themes that will come up in this book. Mm. So I'll use my own book as an example. So when I wrote Dare to Write, I knew immediately that I'd want to do chapters on mindset, on habits, um, on productivity, like how to actually get the book written on how to plan it, how to identify your reader. So all these things I just had in my head already that I kept thinking about. And I just threw everything I thought of down on paper um, so that they were, essentially it was out of my head, mm. which freed up a lot of space in terms of creativity. And then write everything down. And I would say set a timer, do it in half an hour, because I can guarantee that when you put a half hour timer on and you get rid of all other distractions, you will be amazed at how much comes out in half an hour and then it actually feels like it's a quick job you can do you're not having to sit for hours and think about your book it's like do you know what we're busy people we've all got businesses we're running we've got all sorts of things going on kids family whatever so if you can find half an hour just get it all down on, on the page and then leave it so leave it for a day or two and what you'll find is and just the way our brains work is that things will come to you when you're doing random random stuff so you might be washing the dishes, you might be having a bath, you might be plucking your eyebrows, whatever it is, something will come to you um, and you can add it to the list. So the reason I say do the brain dump is then and leave it is because your brain will then subconsciously be working on that all the time, get coming up with ideas. And as soon as you have any other ideas that you want to include, just throw them down on that piece of paper. And then it's all out of your head and you've got something to work with. Amazing. Before we go on to step three, you talked mm. about mindset. For, so for your own book, I suggest you go and buy it, Dare to Write. I'll include mm. the Amazon link in the show notes. Thank you. But what are, because I know with podcasting, there are some mind monkeys, I like to call them, that pop up with some of my clients. Everyone's a little bit different. But what do you see? What are that sort of the common mindset stuff that comes up with your clients when they're writing their book? 
very common, um, is the idea good enough? Mm. Um, is this a good enough idea? And I will say at this point, you know, I pride myself in working with women. Um, I don't not work with men. I just feel that women in particularly in the business book, nonfiction book space are very underrepresented. So I'm all about championing the female voice. And I have worked with men on their books. And the difference that I do notice is quite often men will be like, got this idea for a book. Mm. I just want your help to write it. Mm. There's no self-doubt really. A lot of it's like, yeah, I just need your help to put this thing together. How can I structure it? Yeah. Whereas for a lot of the female writers that I support, it's often, what do you think this is good? Will people want to, you know, will people want to read this? You know, am I somebody who could write this? You know, mm. do I have that expertise? Do I need a PhD? Do I need a master's? Oh, wow. So it's those kind of conversations that often right. come up. And also it tends to be any kind of baggage you're bringing with you around writing. Mm. So typically I, I spoke to a lady once and she said that her English teacher had basically made her rub out her writing over and over again as a child. And so she said, I just, I don't think I can write the book. Oh, I'd want to, goodness. but I just don't think I can because I've just got that memory of my writing always being criticised. Yeah. Um, and it's about trying to help people understand that, A, you're not writing an academic text. You're not writing for a PhD thesis. You're writing a book for Joe Bloggs, if you like, rather than an academic you know, professor who's going to be marking you. But also... You know, you've come so far from from writing in a school environment mm. and you are so much more experienced in life. You've got so many things to share. And to put it bluntly, essentially, that's what an editor's for. So even if you are somebody who doesn't feel confident writing, get it down. Even if you dictate it, even if you dictate your book, if you don't feel comfortable writing, yeah. dictate it. And then you've got stuff to work with. You can work with an editor. You can really polish it and, and pull it together. And a great example of this recently was Jamie Oliver was talking about how he'd launched his children's book very recently. And as part of that kind of launch, I was reading his post and he said that his first few books, he never thought he'd be able to write his recipe books because he's dyslexic. Yes, I remember that. And he um, decided that he was going to dictate them mm-hmm. and then have somebody you know, transcribe it and put it together into a recipe book. And he sold millions of books very successfully yeah. as someone who's dyslexic. So I always say to people... Wherever you're coming from, there's always a way to write a book. There's always a way to pull your ideas together, be it working with somebody like me, working with a ghostwriter, dictating your work. So don't feel limited if, if maybe writing isn't your strong point. Everybody can write a book in a way that works for them. Yeah, thank you for sharing. I'm a, I was a bit surprised at the PhD reference. Like, do I need, cause that's quite a high, not certification, I guess. masters it's quite high in the educational Mm. spectrum um so that's really interesting i know on the podcasting world that whole thing about you know is my idea good enough or people gonna listen so those are kind of yeah they'll kind Mm. of carry through across the book and podcast world but yeah the phd i was rather surprised to hear that um what would you say the next step would be so the next step would be take this wonderful load of notes that you've done in your brain dump and start to look at, are there any themes that are coming up? So for example, um, it might be that you've jotted down uh, examples of things that you want to include that are maybe like case studies or um, particular concepts that you really want to talk mm. about. And it might be that they pull together under a particular theme. So I knew in Dare to Write, I wanted to do, talk about growth mindset and fixed mindset. 
I wanted to talk about um, having determination. And I knew that would all come under a mindset chapter. So it might be that you start to see within all this stuff you've jotted down, Mm. things that are going to naturally fit together into chapters. Um, Some of them might be chapters on their own. Um, and others of them might be smaller things that you know you're going to have to incorporate into chapters with other things. So look at your brain dump, start pulling together the sort of the overarching chapters that could come out of this. And it might be very obvious to you. And if there's a particular system that you follow in your coaching, or if you are, you know, when I was saying I worked with a wonderful lady doing um, products for sale on Amazon, like how to start selling on Amazon. She said to me that there's this process that she goes through with every client who works with her on putting their product together. And I said to her, well, that's the structure of the book Mm. is the structure of your sessions with clients. So it could be that actually you do things already in a particular way or that you've got a framework that you use or in your membership, you've got modules that people work through in an order. There are your chapters right there. You know, you don't have to rethink everything and reinvent the wheel and most of the time you've got things that are already structured in a particular way and it can work the same for your book so have a look at it start to pull together your chapters um, even in their loosest form and things will always move things will always change um, as you go through the writing process but just for the moment get it down in any structure you think is going to work for you and then you can start actually writing it how long from I, well, not idea, because like you said, people think about it for so long, but maybe from these initial conversations with your clients to the book is out there, how long is that process? Um, I, I, I'm asked this most times when I work <laughs> with people. They always ask me, how long does this take? <laughs> um, my answer is always, how long have you got to dedicate to it? Yes. And mm-hmm. I think it's about being realistic. So for me, I'm an experienced writer and when I'm in first draft mode, I will be just, that's the only thing I'm doing other than sort of this very basics to keep the business going. So I tend to write my first draft in July or August because then naturally quieter months. Right. So I will write uh, my first draft and I will write every day for a month and that pretty much knocks out the first draft in a month or five weeks. Wow. But not everybody's in that position. So. It just depends. It depends on how much you can dedicate the time to doing it. But I would say people will often find time is a real barrier and you don't have to spend hours writing every day. I would say if you can find half an hour a day and you can commit to writing 500 words a day, you will get there so much quicker than if you try and do three hours, you know, every other week. Mm. That's my kind of biggest advice to people is write little and often and you will it will start to build and build and build um and you can go from writing to publishing in six months um if you're self-publishing okay if you're going with a traditional publisher you're looking at 18 months to two years because by the time you've sent your queries out to agents and people have picked up your idea you then have to um you know, to write the thing, <laughs> they have to edit it and it goes back and forth, back and forth for quite a long time. So yeah, the process can can vary depending on A, the time you have, but also the route that you go down for publishing. That's a nice segue actually, because I was going to ask which route or is it a personal preference? Is self-publishing a thing or the 
publishing house thing. I mean, the time frame alone would put me off and put me down the self-publishing route. Mm. But as the expert, what are your thoughts on that? Again, it's personal preference, mm. but um, you can go down traditional publishing route. There are caveats to it. You know, you most publishing houses now will want you to have a substantial audience already so that you're somebody who has a ready-made buying market because if you think they're a business, so they want to be able to say, if we get this person and we invest in the, in the person, in the author, they will then, we'll see a return on it. Uh, there is a percentage and it's some horrible percentage, like 75% of the authors never pay the publisher back their advance. It's, yeah, it's, it's crazy. Okay. So, you know, you will get a small advance for writing. So they basically buy the rights to your book um, and then you will only see royalties from your book once you've paid them back the advance they gave you. And if you never pay back your advance, you then never see any royalties. The royalties themselves are very small as well. It's 10% of the cover price. Whereas when you are um, self-publishing, you get 70% of the royalties. If you go through somewhere like Amazon, where they can put the book out on Kindle for you, they do drop shipping. So you, you don't have to hold stock of your book if you don't want to. Um, and you're, there's greater autonomy in self-publishing. You decide when mm. it's published. You know, you decide the cover design. You know, I've worked with an author who um, is signed to a very big publishing house, and um, he said, you know, he doesn't get to decide the cover. He doesn't get to decide the title at all. You know, not even what do you think of this? That doesn't happen. I think he probably gets a what do you think, but the ultimate decision. The ultimate decision is theirs. Yeah. Yeah, because once it's bought, it's That's theirs, crazy. the rights are theirs. So it is great to be in a bookshop, don't get me wrong. You know, there is a kudos to being published. Is there, <laughs> <laughs> uh, and if you've got a big audience that, you know, you they know are going to buy your books, you know, Dr. Julie Smith, if you think of Dr. Julie, you know, she got her publishing deal off the back of having have a million followers on TikTok she had. Um, and the publishing houses were fighting over mm, who was going to get her book and it's done brilliantly it was the best-selling non-fiction book of 2022 so you know her publishing house are probably rubbing their hands together yeah um, <laughs> Glee. <laughs> but you know they those are really are the exceptions and it's not the kind of the norm for that level of success for a debut author um who you know if you don't have a million followers on tiktok <laughs> that's badly. interesting yeah i don't know if you know lisa johnson I do, seven yeah. Figure, yeah, at least um, seven figure coach. But thinking back, I mean, I wasn't paying close attention, but listening to you speak, I'm sure her book did not take 18 months. It's essentially she launched her podcast. Mm-hmm. And as a result, similar to what you're saying, she has got quite an engaged, loyal community. I wouldn't even say audience. Like she's really built her community mm-hmm. of diehard people in it. But then because of her podcast launch, she attracted this book deal. And I f- I wasn't like, you know, obsessed, but I feel like it didn't take mm. 18 months. Is that, does that sometimes happen? It can, it, but there are publishers that are called hybrid publishers. So they are, these are people that sit between self-publishing and traditional. And a hybrid publisher will often have the same sort of model of business as a traditional publishing house, but the author will sometimes have to, well, the author always has to with hybrid um, stump up initial money to be published oh. by them. Um, and I've had several authors I've worked with who've had quotes from some of the hybrid publishers, and, and some of them are in the tens of thousands of pounds to be published 
by a hybrid publisher. So wow. there are pros and cons to that because, of course, you're going to get people who've got, you know, links to the in the traditional publishing world. They've got contacts. They will mm. help you with book coaching. They'll help you with um, editing. And it's all in-house. Yeah. But, you know, someone said that they were quoted the other day £25,000 to work with a hybrid publisher. So if you've got that money to, to put into it and to invest, it oh, can be worth Oh, for me to pay them. Yeah up front before yeah. i've written and we've not yeah. okay and that's non that's not an advance that's to that's you them. paying for their services essentially but so Jeez. there are there are bigger names out there who maybe have done that because they have that kind of money around yeah. to invest um and that's not to say it's not a great way of doing it if you have the money to do that yeah it's a kind of a different way of doing it um that's come okay. about in the last probably five years or so has really caught on the hybrid thing Right. And on the flip side of that, how much is that advance that you mentioned that the traditional publishing house would provide the author? It depends, again, on your um, kind of your status, mm. if you like. Um, so somebody like Julie, Dr. Julie, would have got a hefty advance six figures, I would imagine. But a debut author with a small audience may only get a couple of thousand. Right. Okay. So it's quite broad wide even even broad wide and something I've always been curious about because I worked with a client last year who launched I mean I see it all the time how does one become an Amazon bestseller because I feel like everyone in the online space launches a book and then 22 hours later yay I'm an Amazon bestseller I'm like huh (laughs) like how does that work are you able to share the secrets with us yeah, I mean, Amazon have their own algorithms, of course. Uh-huh. So uh, a lot of it can be um, being very careful with the category that your book sits in um, and choosing your category w- wisely uh, when you go to self-publish. But the other thing about Amazon is that they are, as soon as you get your review numbers up, so I think the magic number, is, again, because it's an algorithm, everyone mm. plays the game, but I think the magic number is about 30 reviews. So as soon as you've got 30 plus reviews they favor your book more right uh, and they'll push it out towards more people who who will then um buy it it's really about your launch strategy your pre-launch strategy getting a bit like i guess launching a podcast yeah. so you've got to have a pre-launch where you've got people who are almost have pre-ordered it yeah who are um really on board and as soon as the sale if they if you have a great sales on the first day or two that's it with loads of reviews then yeah, you'll go straight to the bestseller spot. In, but it, remember, that's in your category. Um, I mean, Dr. Julie was number one on all of Amazon in every in every category, wow. you know, out of everything. So she did that's really really well. well. <laughs> but it, you can be, but then you can be a bestseller on Amazon for something like forty eight hours or so, and then and then you're not anymore. So yeah. it's like you've got to be you've got to be really aware of if you are, so that you can screenshot your bestseller status. <laughs> um. It's so similar to podcasts. Oh my goodness, because yeah. that happens. Like some people who just want to hit that, you know, chart on launch day. Mm -hmm. But like you said, you you better take a screenshot (laughs) because it's not necessarily going to last because the charts are dominated by, you know, the Stephen Bartlett's, the celebrities. Oh, yeah. Um, Mm -hmm. But when it happens, I definitely want you to celebrate it. But, okay, there's other things (laughs) that we should be focusing on. And I'm always quite wary because I've heard of a couple big coaches using financial incentives 
to hit the chart. So mm-hmm. I don't know if they do this with book launches. And mm. I just feel like there's a very fine line. Like I work with my clients to do giveaways or whatever mm-hmm. it might be. But I've heard of people like buying iPads or Louis, yeah. v- Louis Vuitton. And I'm like, no, yeah. where is the yeah. ethics? <laughs> the morals, the everything. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, if that's something that you aspire to do, go for it. But let's just do it in not an icky way. Yeah, 100%. Yeah, I think it's the same with, you know, if you've got that kind of money to throw into it. But like I'm sure you know with podcasting, you know, book selling is the same. You know, once the launch is over, it's you've still got to do all that hard yes. work to keep <laughs> momentum. Yeah. Because otherwise you do all that work for the week of launch and everyone's excited and everyone's talking about your book. And then if you stop talking about it, people yeah. stop buying it. So it's a bit like your podcast, isn't it? If you stop talking about it, people stop listening. So it's hard work and I think it's harder than people anticipate because they yeah. think, you know, oh, I'm just going to, my launch has happened and it's now just going to take on a life of its own. Yeah. And it doesn't, it, it really doesn't. doesn't. You you have to just keep pushing and keep sharing your stuff, keep sharing reviews, keep talking about your book because otherwise, you know, it will just, you know, tail off sadly. Yeah. Um, yeah. so yeah it's important no 100% and just before we wrap up couple mm. quick questions are there any sort of out of the box promotion techniques for books that you have worked with on clients or you've done yourself that maybe our audience our listeners can take away I've done um launches a couple I've done one launch for um, a Sunday Times bestseller uh, and I got to work with um, one of the big publishing houses and that's I would say from my experience of that it's not so much the kind of the out there type approach Mm. it's the consistency um, and it's the repetition of stuff and I would say that for that book we started three months before launch talking about it promoting it just over and over again now he's got a very wide audience he goes on to he can get on to the big podcasts he can go on to the Stephen Bartlett's of the of the The world world. so he can promote it that way and that's not obviously the case for most authors but from that I really would say and it made me think about my own books is pick out three concepts that you are happy to go on to podcasts and talk about to do blog posts about, to get articles about, you know, in magazines or whatever. It's just the consistency and keep talking about it, keep promoting it. Like even if you only do a month before launch or six weeks, it's just getting your audience involved, getting them excited about the book coming out. And there is somebody who does a really great, does really great work around book launches. And she's Lucy Werner. She wrote a book called Hype Yourself. And then uh, she wrote Brand Yourself as well. And they're both excellent books, just FYI. But she does such incredible creative launches. So she will often superimpose her and her husband's face on like famous photos. So she had, I think it was like a Harry and Meghan one. And it was, they put their faces on Harry and Meghan. And that was like, they were holding the book. And it was just, just really funny ways of getting eyes on your book or eyes on the, yeah. yeah. So it's, it's being creative, but most importantly it's being consistent yeah there's so many similarities and I was the other thing that I wanted to touch on is when you were saying earlier about this momentum Mm -hmm. leading up to launch I feel like you're almost like oh (laughs) because you put so much energy Mm -hmm. into it but you're right you do 
continue the momentum. I, I don't know. I I suppose where I wanted to get your expert opinion, because in my head, with the podcast, you are still releasing episodes, whereas the book is a one and done. So in my head, I'm thinking, I mean, it will be my my love and my joy. I've written my book. But then I think, well, how do I promote it until <laughs> the end of time, essentially? But as you said, yeah. you just, is it literally just taking those three concepts, rotating them on podcast mm-hmm. interviews? Do people use social media quite a lot? I don't know, ads or reels? I yeah, don't reels. It, again, it depends on people's budgets. But yeah, yeah, social media for sure. And there are so many ways you can you can talk about your book. You can do a live where you're reading an extract from it, you know, the, um, things like that where... If you've got an engaged audience yeah. and you're doing like a 10 minute, this is the introduction or this is cha- a chapter on this, people will tune in and listen to you. But it's also about, you know, doing look, just on social, you know, things like quotes from the book, review, you know, snippets of reviews people have left, doing, you know, reels with using content from it. Yeah. And talk to Julie, to be fair to her, does this incredibly well. What you'll notice if you look at her videos is her books are always just subliminally in the background. I could imagine. And it's stuff like that, which is very clever yeah. because she's not directly talking about it, but they're just in the background all the time to remind you. So it's little things like that where it's, you don't always have to be so overt with it, but have it where you're at least, I would say at least once a week, you're talking about your book in some way, even okay. if it's just on Instagram stories or if it's just a post of somebody, you holding your book up, you know, don't forget that new people who follow you may not have seen all your previous stuff. So yeah. you've just got to keep talking about it and keep engaging with people around it. Um, yeah. And I would just say, yeah, be consistent yeah. Um, and be in it for the long run. Amazing. <laughs> Well, thank you, Steph. Is there anything that we haven't covered that you feel like you like our listeners to be able to walk away with before we wrap up? I just think believe in what you have to say, believe in your message, believe that what you have in terms of a concept or a framework or something that you know works with people, don't underestimate how much a book can impact people's lives. And you will, I think we all have a book that we hold dear to our hearts, be it nonfiction, be it fiction. Books have a real way of staying with us and having special memories for us. And we can come back to reading them time and time again. And I've read books that have totally changed my life. And I think don't underestimate that your book could do that to somebody and be that for someone. Um, So yeah, if you have a book that you keep thinking about, all I would say is please write it because if you keep thinking about it and you know it's helped people in your sessions with them or through working with them, then it will help more than that one person. It can help loads of people. So just do it. <laughs> Thank you so much, Steph. This has been an amazing interview. I hope our listeners who have written a book on their heart have taken so much away from this episode. I'll be sure to link everything that we talked about in the show notes. And thank you so much for being here. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Thanks so much for tuning in to this episode of the Podcast Amplify show. I want to hear from you. Reach out on Instagram and let me know your next action step towards creating a strategic and intentional podcast that grows your business and personal brand. Also, can I ask a favor? Can you share this episode on your story so more impact-driven female business owners just like you are encouraged to use their voices to make a global impact? Thanks so much and I'll see you in the next episode.